This is Bobby Guy with the 10-Minute Health BizCast. This is album three, track six. We've talked about the twin pillars of competition and distribution, and I've told you a personal story about places where our healthcare system needs to get better at excellence. Today, we're going to talk about how we're working to define excellence. As a country, it's important that we define excellence in healthcare. That means coordinated, appropriate, cost-effective, and based on value and outcomes. Much different than the personal example I gave you in the last episode. How do we incentivize excellence? By paying more for it and by paying less for mediocre and nothing for poor work, just like we do in every other industry. Is anyone a fan of the TV show House? Realize that the way we do medicine in the U.S. and the way most countries do it, if House performs a surgery and he's the best surgeon at the hospital for it, he gets paid the same amount for the procedure as the worst surgeon at the hospital. How is that okay? Also, let's think about how difficult it is to compare providers. Unless I'm getting knee surgery from the doctor who did Serena Williams' knee, I'm not sure what level of quality I'm really getting. There's very little transparency about quality and very little ability to compare providers. There's a huge opportunity here for those who can build businesses that can differentiate excellence in healthcare. Let's talk about the ways we're trying to do this as a country right now. They're imperfect, but they're a start. The first step and the low-hanging fruit in defining excellence is to define unacceptable. How have we done this? As we've talked about earlier, the historical way of defining the minimum has been the standard of care and malpractice and revoking someone's medical license. Now, as a country, we're trying to take this to a more meaningful level. For the last decade, CMS, that's the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which is a part of the U.S. government, has been creating a list of never events. Providers don't get paid for never events. What are never events? Errors in medical care that are clearly identifiable, preventable, and serious in their consequences for patients, and that indicate a real problem in the safety and credibility of a healthcare facility. Examples of never events include surgery on the wrong part of the body, leaving a sponge or instrument in the patient after surgery by mistake, mismatching a blood transfusion, making a major medication error, and getting a severe pressure ulcer while in the hospital. One study, using data from the year 2000, suggested that never events cost 2.4 million extra inpatient days that year, and 9.3 billion in additional charges to all payers. It's hard to believe that we've ever paid for never events, but traditionally we have. In U.S. healthcare, we've paid for the service regardless of the outcome. This is now changing, and it's long overdue. CMS and other payers have made great strides in preventing never events. This is a good start. Another way that we've started defining unacceptable in healthcare has been to disincentivize readmissions to hospitals after surgery. When a patient has to get readmitted after surgery for complications that were reasonably preventable, the hospital doesn't get paid for the additional care it has to provide following the readmission. This is on the provider's own dime. The result is that everyone is incentivized to provide good discharge planning and follow-up after the expensive surgery because there's financial risk. 
So now, hospitals have to be very intentional about discharging to a rehab facility or a home health agency that is going to do a good job. The hospital doesn't want to take the financial risk of discharging to a facility that does poorly. This is a good way to create internal policing in the industry. Hospitals are encouraged to make sure that they identify the best providers and then discharge to them in order to avoid financial penalties. The more ways that we can encourage internal policing in the industry, the better we do. The second step, after defining out the unacceptable, is to begin to differentiate high value from low value in providing services, to pay for value. We're at the very early stages of doing this as well. One way that we've started doing this is through the five-star rating system that CMS uses for hospitals and skilled nursing. How does a facility get its star rating? Based on a combination of factors. For nursing homes, for example, the ratings are based on staffing ratios, regular inspections by the regulators, and certain quality measures related to caring for patient physical and medical needs. For hospitals, the ratings deal with mortality, safety, readmissions, patient satisfaction, and response time. Three, four, and five-star facilities get certain additional financial benefits that are not available to facilities with less than three stars. Before the rating system, quality was often not a factor in third-party reimbursement. In fact, there's a study by the consulting firm BDO from about five years ago that shows Looking at nursing homes across the country, cost and quality often have little relationship. Some of the nursing homes with the worst outcomes charged the highest prices, while many nursing homes with the best outcomes were much more reasonably priced. Another way we're differentiating high and low value is by experimenting with what we call bundled payment programs. For example, CMS has pilot programs for joint replacements, where it pays a single amount of money to all the providers involved, the hospital, the doctors, the rehab facility, the home health provider, and on and on. And the group has to decide how to divide up the one lump sum between them. If one of the providers does a bad job that results in the need for more healthcare services, the whole group is hurt financially because there's no additional money for the additional services. So quality and efficiency are tied together. And again, providers are incentivized to police each other. Accountable care organizations are another experiment in delivering value. An ACO is a type of network, groups of providers who work together intentionally to try to achieve cost savings in caring for patients and getting better results. The government looks at how much it would typically pay for the care of a set of patients for a year. And if the providers can manage to provide the care for less, they get an incentive payment that lets them share in the savings. All of these methods that I've just mentioned are experiments in the petri dish of healthcare democracy. And through tracking their data and outcomes, we hope to create new benchmarks we can use that define excellence. Better outcomes at efficient prices. We've got to come up with more and better ways to define excellence and pay for value. So we've talked about defining the unacceptable and about early ways that we're trying to differentiate high and low value. There are several more steps we've got to take if we're going to pay for excellence. What's the third? We've got to focus on coordinating care instead of having multiple providers who don't talk to each other. We've traditionally paid for healthcare like it's a transaction, but it's not. It's a continuum. Even with something as simple as a broken arm, this is not a single visit. There's an initial visit to get the arm reset and put in a cast, and there are numerous follow-up visits to check on it and then get the cast removed. 
but we pay for each visit like it's a separate event. If we do that for a broken arm, what about for chronic conditions like cancer or diabetes or even just asthma? We need to find a way to pay for a course of treatment and the integration of multiple providers in some type of bundle. This incentivizes the best care on the front end to avoid unnecessary care on the back end. And it incentivizes providers to select first-rate colleagues to minimize cost. It also incentivizes providers to work together and talk to each other. As I mentioned in the introduction to Album 1, here lies the major failing of first-world healthcare systems. Generalists don't talk to specialists who don't talk to facilities. It's only now that we've started talking about paying doctors to consult with each other. We've got to pay healthcare providers in a way that incentivizes them to communicate with each other in real time to achieve the best outcomes. Oversimplified solutions rarely result in the best care for complex systems, like our bodies. Five people doing simple math in their own cubicles will not solve a calculus problem. Fourth, in seeking excellence, we've got to find a way to deal with follow-up. We've got to take this beyond hospital readmissions and focus on follow-up across the healthcare spectrum. Traditionally, U.S. medicine has left most follow-up to the patient because the healthcare transaction is already over, right? But follow-up is how we make sure that a patient understands what they need to be doing next, how we make sure they're doing well, and how we help them comply with best practices to avoid complications. We're not good at this yet, but we need to be, and it involves call centers, telemedicine, and better technology integration. On album two, we talked to Lacuna Health, whose name actually means gaps in Latin, and they do callbacks and follow-ups, a critical aspect of excellent and cost-effective care. Fifth, one of the major barriers to excellence is that we still haven't come up with a way for U.S. citizens to have comprehensive medical records. This is what the push behind electronic medical records has been about. But this campaign to take medical records electronic has been less successful than expected. I've told this story before about how when I was a kid moving from army base to army base, my mother would pick up all the family's medical records before we left and take them with us to the next base because she wasn't leaving it to chance and she certainly wasn't leaving it to the government bureaucracy to make sure it would arrive at the next base. The U.S. medical system is highly fragmented when it comes to records. When you show up at one hospital, they don't have the records from your personal doctor or from the last hospital you visited. We need entrepreneurs to develop a successful way of keeping a single comprehensive medical file for each of our citizens, which can be accessed by every medical provider they ever visit, so that, like the files my mother would pick up before we moved, it always travels with you. Yes, there are sticky issues with medical records and the potential for abuse. We do not want Big Brother. But comprehensive care only happens with comprehensive records and interoperability between systems. Healthcare is going digital, and in my opinion, it has to be. The major tech providers had already set their own target date in the early 2020s for interoperability. That will likely push because of COVID, but the private sector is chasing this hard, and it should be, because it matters in the pursuit of excellence. Sixth, and finally, we should accelerate the trend toward best practices in healthcare, helping providers achieve excellence. This is what we're talking about when you hear the phrase evidence-based medicine. The phrase has some supporters and detractors, but we're not getting into that debate here. 
what we're focused on, more tools and more evidence can help providers get better outcomes, and nobody debates that. Healthcare is complex because doctors are dealing with the body, which is a complex system, and there are thousands of possibilities. As we move towards stronger tech integration in healthcare, we can give our providers better tools and increase consistency in outcomes. Healthcare providers want this, and we all need it. Better information and more efficient access to shared knowledge provides the opportunity for better care more often. Like medical records, this is also a sticky area, and the key will be balancing appropriate individual discretion with shared knowledge of best practices, which will always be evolving. Artificial intelligence is beginning to have an impact in healthcare, and it will significantly increase our potential for best practices. So these six points form the foundations of fixing U.S. healthcare through excellence. I'll conclude this episode with an example from a Reader's Digest article that I read many years ago. It was about a prestigious supper club of doctors who gathered each month to discuss their most difficult past cases. A new doctor gets invited to join the supper club, and at his first evening, he presents the case of a patient who's hospitalized because the man's throat seems blocked, but there's no obstruction. Nothing shows up on x-rays, and the doctor can't find anything. One of the other dinner guests says, Ah, I had this problem with a patient before. It's a fishbone. It won't show up on the diagnostics, and it's clear in color so you can't see it. The new doctor quickly explains that this isn't a past case, but is an urgent one, and his patient is still alive in the hospital right now. He immediately excuses himself from dinner, and with several of his colleagues in tow, he goes immediately to the hospital, where he performs a minor surgery to remove the fishbone. The patient recovers, and it's a great success for the doctor and the patient. When I think of that story now, it illustrates to me the historical underpinnings of how siloed we've been in the way we've done healthcare in the past. It took a supper club to obtain the collective knowledge of a group of excellent doctors about a single problem. And except for this one evening, the discussions at the supper club had all been post-mortem. We're more coordinated than this now, but it's a legacy that we're still fighting. Healthcare providers and entrepreneurs who come up with ways to coordinate care, share knowledge, and elevate best practices will be highly successful in the new healthcare economy, because these are all the ways that we can differentiate excellence. And when you develop ways to measure excellence, you're going to change healthcare and the world for the better. This has been the 10-Minute Health BizCast, broadcasting from Nashville, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us.